After 81 days of solitary detention, world-famous Chinese artist Ai Weiwei is put under house arrest. He suffers from a sleeping disorder, memory loss, 18 cameras monitoring his studio and his home. Police agents follow him every, uh, his every move. Heavy restrictions in a Kafka-esque Chinese authorities weigh him down. Um, and it is. It is a repressive and sort of uh, ugly uh, uh, outer world that Ai Weiwei is dealing with, but uh, because of his own internal support system, his family and the rest of it, we have an opportunity through the eyes of this wonderful documentary, Ai Weiwei, The Fake Case, and director, um, I'm sorry, let me start, and director Andreas Johnson, um, we have an opportunity to see into a world that we would uh, not normally have access to. Terrific documentary, Ai Weiwei, The Fake Case. We're joined by the director, Andreas Johnson, calling us from Georgia. Welcome, Andreas. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for being here. I First first things first, uh, there was a documentary that came out a couple of years ago about um, Ai Weiwei um, and called Never Sorry, uh, Allison Clayman. Uh, obviously, uh, it was a good documentary. I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I liked it a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me. What was it, a, what compelled you to go back and revisit Ai Weiwei. What was it do, that drew you to do uh, uh, this documentary about Ai? Well, actually, I I was filming at the same time as Alison Clayman was. Oh, I did not know that. And uh, and uh, I, I arrived at Weiwei's house in 2010, and one of the first people I met was Alison. And she, she was as surprised as I was because Weiwei hadn't told neither her, neither me, about the other person making a film about him, which is kind of typical Weiwei, you know. You don't know if he's, like, playing a game or if he just forgot or what it was, but we were both very surprised, but, of course, we, we, we managed, and yeah. and I was just like, well, Alison, you started before me, so just finish your film, and then I will I will finish mine once yours is done. Now, the... This, this, the circumstances uh, for Ai Weiwei, the fake case, are, are different than the circumstances that were that were uh, appear in uh, Never Sorry, uh, and your your the focus of yours, the fake case, is focuses on Ai's return back from uh, from uh, um, cap uh, from being held captive by the Chinese. And yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I. Go ahead. Because I mean, of course, Alison. I you know I wanted her to fi- finish her film, and then Weiwei, unfortunately, was 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 detained, and I realized. I mean, when he was away for three months, we were all hoping for him to come out or or at least come back somehow. And once he came out, I realized that this was my film. You know, the one year in house arrest after his release. Yeah. Because that gave me like the time frame and the. The, the story and the you know the whole drama of the film. So I was actually the year and a half I had shot before his arrest. I didn't use it at all mm. in the film. Oh, just for our listeners who may not be as familiar with Ai Weiwei as as you and I are, and um, a little bit of background on him. He's regarded as one of the uh, maybe the primary, the, the 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 most important Chinese artist living today. But tell us a little bit about his sort of his work. And how he became known as this dissident in in China. Actually, in 2011, he was uh, elected or voted uh, by Art Review 
the most important art magazine in the world, to be the most powerful artist uh, living today in the whole world. So mm. it's not only in China that he has a significant role in the in the art world. But the thing that is very different from him and other Chinese artists, I would say, is his. You know, he is very. Uh, he he doesn't do self censorship. And a lot of other Chinese artists, they they self-censor themselves because of the the government's restrictions and so forth. And he's always trying to come out with whatever it is he has to 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 speak about and his critique of what's going on in Chinese society. And he's he's always ready to you know to to fight for freedom of speech and for human rights and and yeah, he's yeah. never. So yeah, he's a a strong guy. Well, the the outside world knows about him from uh, I would say it's safe to say that the Bird's Nest, the uh, stadium from the Olympic Games held held in Mm -hmm. Beijing, uh, that's what he's best known for. But in addition to that, as you you know, he's he's done uh, other work and and he's at least as well known in the art world for the other work as he was for the architectural design of that stadium. But he has spoken out, and I, I think one of the strengths that I see in him, uh, in, and it comes out in, in the film, uh, Ai Weiwei, The Fake Case, is his openness. He is really sort of combating the Chinese uh, narrative by being about as transparent as you can possibly be. Exactly. That is very well put, Mike. I mean, everything that Weiwei is about is honesty, the truth, openness, communication. His art is always about communicating. For example, when he did the, his, his, one of his pieces from the Sichuan earthquake, where he collected all the names of the school children that had died in the Sichuan earthquake in 2008, which the government wouldn't, they wouldn't give out the number, they wouldn't give out the names, they wouldn't give any information about the deceased people uh, from the earthquake. So Weiwei went around and he did this investigation with his staff and other volunteers, and he made this huge piece with all the names and the date of birth and everything from all the kids. And it's just so strong because it's so simple, but it's so powerful. The impact when you see this is like, it just, you, you feel the loss of all those kids, you know? Yeah. Now, I mean, it that in, a, it, in and of itself is a, a, be- a, 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 a wonderful idea conceptually for a piece of art. <clears throat> it's Is it just the, the fact that the Chinese um, government is so uh, determined to keep information uh, away from its people that makes his work so powerful politically? Is is there is 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 the 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 actions of the government, or are they inherently political when he does something like that? I mean, of course, everything they do to keep him down just put adds more fuel to his fire. You can say, yeah, you know. So whenever example, like when they put him away for three months, it just makes him more famous. Yeah. And he made this beautiful piece, you know, the six dioramas with the six situations from his his uh, his prison cell when he was detained, and it's so powerful. I mean, he couldn't have done that if they didn't take him away. And of course, it becomes very political. So they, in a way, they kind of force him to become more and more political. And now everything he does is 
I mean, it's art, but it's 100 percent political also. Right, and and that um, yeah, there, that's a terrific part of this film. Uh, not to reveal everything about this <clears throat> film, but that there, in the course of the of of the film, we see him working on a piece that is, in fact, uh, about his 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 detainment. Uh, of 81 days, and and it is it is wonderful. In fact, the poster for the movie, if you don't look at it closely, you would swear it was a photograph. If you don't really, really sit and look at it for a second, and and it is part of this uh, piece of art that uh, he'd been he's been working on or was working on then. Um, and it's wonderful. And, um, by the way, I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Andreas Johnson. He's the director of the new documentary coming out today called I Way Way, The Fake Case. It is opening here in the Los Angeles area at the Lemley Royale in Los Angeles and also at the Lemley uh, Pasadena Playhouse in Pasadena. Um, let me ask, uh, this level, and by the way, the film really, one of the strengths of uh, this film is this intimacy, this comfort level that he obviously has with you as a filmmaker and obviously he trusts you you are filming interviews with his mom with intimates of his life his 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 child is in this uh there really it, it, how how long did it take you and your relationship with him to where he felt that comfortable with you or what I what mean, took actually, place uh, we, we clicked pretty fast I would say I mean it took me like six months to to make him agree that I could make a film with him but after that he was on you know there was no problem he never asked me to 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 turn off the camera and say you cannot film this the only situations that was where I couldn't film was if it was like too dangerous because there was too many secret agents or police coming or something like that so he was trying to protect me as well but uh, he never, you know, had any problem with me, you know, being there with his family or his private life. So I had full access pretty much from, from the beginning. And, you know, I think it's because he, he felt that I was interested in, in him as a, as a human being. You know, I, I wanted to, to, to get to know him as a person and not just as the, the world-famous artist or the, the her, heroic activist. No, I was interested in in learning to know the real person I way away, yeah. and I didn't. I never asked him to do any spe- anything specifically for me. And everybody else that comes to his studio or his home, they always want him to to answer a specific question in a certain way, or or mm-hmm. they want to be part of his art to make money with him or something like that. And I was just there as a person, as another human being, yeah. and he really appreciated that I, I could feel he appreciated that and it was it what, was kind of simple actually yeah and and what I'm struck by watching him in your film uh, I Weigh Weigh the fake case is you you see how thoughtful he is but you can see that that the, the weight of this the weight of all of the things that he has to deal with really seems to be to get to him at times in ways that you see that it in his eyes, you can see it in his demeanor. He's, he 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 appears to be someone who I could easily understand. I think it, it mentions here as a sort of a sleep disorder that he looks tired, a, you know, a fair amount of, in this film because of. I mean, it's understandable. He's just under an enormous amount of pressure um, for a lot of reasons. His family, 
the government is is you know is determined to to incarcerate him the 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 art world is looking to him for inspiration there's a lot of competing kind of uh parts of his life um did you get a sense that how i mean how he's hold how he holds up how he's able to kind of process and deal with all these conflicting uh situations it's it's difficult to say what exactly makes him such a strong human being as he is. Um, I think the time he spent in New York, he, he spent 10, 12 years in New York in the in the 80s, early 90s, yeah. and uh, you know that changed him from from other Chinese people. You know, it gives him a broader perspective of of the world. Him thinking as an artist. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that his father was also, uh, yeah. uh, you know, had, had a bad standing with, with Mao, and he was traumatized by this, so he's really focused on making things better. If he can, you know, at least just trying to make things better, trying to change the, the, the corruption and, and the repression that goes on in China, because he has felt this on his own body when he grew up. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's a combination of all, of all these things. His mother seems to also but, be someone who, who is, is supportive and at the same time a cautionary tale for him. I mean, he, he there's a point in the film where she's saying, you know, you you know, we've all been through this before, but please be careful. You know, she... Exactly. exactly. He he's, he's also a father, and, and yeah. he doesn't, you know, he, he lost his son yeah. that he all of a sudden has. He never wanted to have children, but all of a sudden he has a child. And, and of course, he wants to be there for his, his child, so it's it's also a big dilemma for him. Tell me, is I'm going to ask you a two-part question here. Um, there are a lot of people that come into his home over the course of the time you're filming. Have there Has there been any repercussions for... Uh, for them, I mean, I, I assume that this film has been seen somewhere in China by the officials there. Have there been any ramifications for the people that are in the film? I, I mean, understanding the Ai Weiwei is certain. Excuse me, is certainly high on that list. But I mean, I mean, do you know? Yes, I mean, uh, all of his staff has been interrogated. A lot of people who worked with him before has been interrogated, mm-hmm. not because of this film, but when he was uh, actually kidnapped by the Chinese authorities. Yeah. And some were kept also in detention for quite a long time. You know, all of his family members, you know, some some friends of his friends even, you know, has been harassed and interrogated by the police. People who live far away from Beijing has you know so it, it it's it goes beyond him which which he really hates you know if if it was only him he would have no problem but yeah. well, and, what about yeah. your what about but yourself he, he, of course he can control that andreas johnson what about yourself any any ramifications uh for the work that you've done uh, are you allowed back in china or have you been restricted in any way or anything like that i, I mike to be honest, I have no clue. Yeah. The thing is, I think the strongest weapon the Chinese authorities have is that they they keep you in like the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So you, you never know how much they actually know or what they think about you or what they think about what you're doing and, and what repercussions it will have. So I have no idea. I would love to go back to China, not only to visit Weiwei, but to, you know, explore more of, of, of China because, honestly, I've only been in Beijing with Weiwei, uh, you know, the eight times that I visited China. So mm-hmm. for me, you know, it would be really a shame if, I, if I'm never allowed to go back in. But I'm, I'm hoping, I, and I will try this year. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and uh, finally, um, in in regard to uh, in the film, I mean, it, it, there he does Ai Weiwei does express some optimism, and I think there are a number of people actually in the film who do express a degree of optimism about the the future of China. Um, you personally see uh, that the this sort of air of uh, regressive sort of political atmosphere. Do you see that? Uh, getting better? Do you see his opportunity to become a, a real artist again and not a political figure? Do you see that happening anytime soon? I, I wouldn't say anytime soon, but I mean, how can you control the internet? How can you control modern technology that is like allowing us to communicate with the whole wide world and, you know, globalization and, and all this stuff? So it's you know, the young people are never going to be satisfied with with just having uh, a one-opinion uh, press and mm-hmm. not being allowed to have a, a free internet and, and all this stuff when they when they know there's another way. Yeah. And you can't keep them from knowing. Well, I, I'm I'm so glad that we had a chance to talk. I, I, I Again, going back to what I, the, I, the impression I, that your film left me with was that uh, Ai Weiwei is optimistic, and he feels that it wouldn't take a whole lot of movement on the part of the people that care about the future of their country to make it a lot better for everyone. Uh, and as he said, they don't want to just be the manufacturers of the world. They don't want to just be the sweatshop for the world. They want more than that. And I think this is part of a development of any industrial society, and I hope that it comes sooner that, rather than later. Uh, because uh, they deserve uh, they deserve the life that anyone would want, and we're that we're all in, in, in some way entitled to. So, um, um, I, of course. yeah. Well, uh, well. Thank thank you so much. I, and <laughs> I know you're working on a fun project right now. What, real quick, what what are you? You're in Georgia. I, I mentioned that at the top of the interview. Yes. Uh, what are you doing in Georgia? Yes, I. I, I needed a break. I'm in Georgia, and uh, I'm here making a film about Georgian wine with my brother, who is... I, I needed to work with, uh, you know, something more light, so I chose to work with my brother. We're making a film about Georgian wine, and Georgia is actually the first place that we know that they had a, a culture of wine 8,000 years ago, and they're making this fantastic, very natural, clean wine with no... no nothing added and it's just been amazing i've been here a week now and it's it's blown my mind <laughs> well thank you so much for being on film school uh the film is uh uh Ai way the fake case it, it uh, and the director is andreas johnson and thank you for the film and thank you for for being here on film school thank you mike take care
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.